Brothers and sisters, take out your Bibles and turn with me this Lord's Day morning to Matthew 18, verses 5 through 7. Let us read the word together. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Amen! Welcome back to the Millstone Collector Podcast. This is a religious deconstruction space, which means, of course, that there will be mockery, tears, gossip, and critical thinking, because all of those things are necessary and healing parts of the process. I'm your host, Rachel, also known as I Blame Bill on TikTok, and I'm so glad you're here. Today is Thanksgiving, and we actually put off today's episode by just a couple days because we wanted it to come out on Thanksgiving, because I know that Thanksgiving and really all family holidays can be a little bit difficult for people. It can be difficult for many, many people, but especially for those who are deconstructing when their families are not deconstructing. When you're going through this process of leaving your faith, when you are pulling away from belief systems that your families raised you with, it can be really lonely and it can be really scary for your family members. And that makes family holidays a little bit tense and a little bit difficult to navigate, especially because, you know, religion often kind of uh, goes along with politics. They kind of get wrapped up amongst each other. When you're deconstructing religion, you're oftentimes deconstructing your entire worldview, which is going to impact your politics too. And that can be difficult for families to watch you change so much and oftentimes so quickly as your worldview shifts. So today we're going to talk about a few different things that are very Thanksgiving themed, but I wanted to start with our hot topics, um, specifically discussing ways that you can survive and get through this Thanksgiving Day event that you might be headed to right now. So I'm going to go through a few different suggestions from somebody who has been out as an atheist for almost 15 years now, um, and who definitely has had to navigate many family functions with people who do not agree with me. I have a list of suggestions, ways that you can hopefully survive it a little bit more, ways that you can be prepared for it, and ways that maybe you can even have a little bit of fun. So my first tip is just to stand by your boundaries. And I know boundaries is definitely a hot topic. Boundaries is something we talk about all the time these days. But sometimes I think we forget that the boundary is really about us and not about them. When we're talking about boundaries, we're really talking about what line you are not okay with them crossing. And it's on you to enforce that boundary, which does not mean just telling them don't cross this line. It means having knowledge in yourself of what you're going to do if that line is crossed. So for an event, a family event like Thanksgiving, you need to go into it knowing what your boundaries are. 
Maybe that boundary is you're not going to pray with them. Maybe the boundary is you don't want to talk about your deconstruction. Maybe the boundary is you don't want them trying to scare you or, you know, um, threaten you with hell. Whatever that boundary is for you. You need to go into the event knowing what that is and then also knowing what you're going to do if they start crossing it. I mean, the first thing is you should probably tell them, like, I don't want to talk about that, actually, or I am not going to be praying today. Thank you. You know, just something where you're letting them know, "Mm, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. You've now stated it. Everyone knows it. Then if they continue on, what will you do in response? If they cross that boundary that you have set, what will you do in response? And this is the key part. You need to know what that is, and only you can know. Maybe it's going to be a really strong boundary, and it's a you get up and you leave. Maybe for you, you know you need that strong of a of a, a boundary and a response, or maybe you won't stick to it. Um, or maybe it's just that you're not going to leave the house, but you're going to get up and walk to another room. Or you're not going to respond anymore if they're talking like that. Or um, maybe you're going to give them three reminders. Maybe you've said in your head, I'm going to tell them three times. And then if it doesn't work, I'll leave or I will, you know, say something again. You know, whatever yours, your boundary is, it's up to you to enforce. And you can enforce that however feels comfortable to you. You just need to know ahead of time what that's going to be. Because once you're in the situation and your emotions are heightened, you forget, you forget what you wanted to do, or you get distracted, or you get baited. And if you're not going into it prepared, you're not going to be able to stick to it as strongly as you need to. For me, one of my boundaries is I'm not okay with being told that, you know, I'm headed to hell or that I need to be afraid of hell, something like that. Those, I'm not cool with that. I don't want a threat. So for me, I'm going to speak up. My boundary is not, I'm going to walk away. My boundary is, okay, now I'm going to talk. (laughs) But that's because I also feel really comfortable being able to argue with someone. And I feel comfortable being able to win the argument with someone. And I'm not intimidated by that. And so for me, it's, I'm going to now unleash the discomfort on you because you crossed that line with me. But once again, that's my personal one. Yours might look different and it's okay for yours to look different. You just need to know what it is going into it. The second tip I have is to act as a team. So if you're not the only one in the room who thinks the way you think, then you need to team up with the other people who agree with you. Even if you don't agree on everything, if you agree on some stuff, team up with those people. Um, when you're just a, a lone duck, it's so much easier for them to come at you, for them to break you down, to break through your boundaries. But when you have teammates, when you have other people there who are also enforcing their boundaries, who also think the way you do, you can really metaphorically link arms and be a stronger uh, force <laughs> that it's harder for them to break through, you know? And it might not be that somebody in the room believes exactly like you do when it comes to religion. But maybe you agree on politics and maybe you know that, you know, you share some values that the family disagrees with. And so you can kind of stand firm and be have each other's back then. Whatever it takes, have a teammate if possible. If possible, have a teammate. And that means going into it, having discussed this with your teammate, you know, even if it's just like a text ahead of time, like, hey, can we have each other's back here? Can we make sure that, you know, 
if they ask us to pray, we're both saying no. Or if they, you know, try to bring up this topic, we're both going to say no, we don't want to talk about it. Whatever it is, have someone else there who's following the same rules you are, who can really help enforce that. My third tip is really to be respectful and to be fair. So everyone has, you know, a different comfort level with conversations around politics and religion. Some people like myself love to talk about it and are super excited and invested in those kinds of conversations. And other people are not. Other people get really intimidated by it. They don't like that feeling of conflict around it. And they would rather just not have the discussions at all. But if you're a person like me, who likes to talk about it, or if you find yourself in that conversation, even if you don't really love to talk about it, be respectful and fair with their opinions. It's going to get you a lot farther than coming in hot and angry. And you have legitimate reasons to be angry when you're deconstructing and you realize how much of your life you honestly wasted on this worldview and this religion that's not true when you are deconstructing and realizing how oppressed maybe your childhood was and how limited your choices were because of this religion. You're going to go into these kinds of discussions with anger, with legitimate justified anger. But when you do that, when you have the conversation from that angry place, it, you make it so the other person is not able to open up quite as much. They're going to be more defensive because they see your anger. And even though your anger is justified, if your goal is to make it so that you can have that conversation without defensiveness, it's best if you can put that anger aside when discussing the topic with that person. And I understand you might not be able to, and it's okay if you're not able to. We're at different parts of our journeys, and sometimes there are parts of that journey where the anger is just, it is it is the, the top emotion, the one that's most accessible, and you just don't have it in you to have that calm conversation, and that's okay. But if possible, try to put that aside and try to be really respectful and fair of their opinions. And by fair, I mean accurately represent it. Don't straw man their views, make sure you're getting their views right, and then discuss their views as they actually are, not as the way you view it, not as the way um, you have maybe constructed it, but as they actually are. You're far more likely to have a open dialogue and have a dialogue that's received better by them if you're being fair. And sometimes that means you're the only one being fair. You know, I have, I have never had a conversation about atheism with my father where he has understood what atheism is and has represented my views fairly. That has never happened. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't want to represent his views fairly. I want to be better than what he is to me. And sometimes that means coming into these conversations knowing you're gonna end up being a bigger person and, Maybe it won't change their mind, but at least you'll be able to walk away being satisfied and proud of yourself and how you handled yourself. And that can go a really long way towards making the day more comfortable if you like yourself in the midst of it all. Then my fourth tip is to be a dissenter. I know I just said be respectful and be fair, and I do believe you should be respectful and be fair. But also I think it's important to be a voice of difference especially when there are children around. 
I get a lot of questions from people asking, how do I help a family member who is being indoctrinated? You know, I'm worried about my niece. I'm worried about my sibling. I'm worried about, you know, maybe even my child who's living with a different parent right now. I'm worried they're being indoctrinated. What do I do? And the key thing about indoctrination is it's education without critical thinking. It's telling a child something and never giving them space to critically analyze it. To be able to critically analyze it, you have to know there's differences of opinion. And that is where you come in. A big part of breaking through indoctrination is just making sure children know that the opinions they're being taught are not the only opinions that exist. So there's so much power in just being a dissenter, in just being someone different. So when you can, be the difference in the room. If your family is talking about God being real, you can say, well, not everyone thinks God's real. People like me exist. And that can be enough to break through a child's indoctrination and let them know something else exists out there. I'm not saying that child is going to immediately be an atheist, right? I am saying, though, that they're now going to know that that's not the only opinion. And that same thing goes for political views and other religious views, right? Just being a dissenting opinion, and especially when you are the kind dissenting opinion. If you can be the one who is kind to those children, who engages with those children, and also be a dissenting opinion, you are breaking through that indoctrination because they are being taught that people only believe this one way, or only the good people only believe this one way. If you can be a good, kind person who disagrees, you are showing them their parents aren't right. Their parents aren't telling them the complete and full truth. And that is really, really powerful in the long scheme of things. Then my next tip, tip number five, is to play a game. Just make it a game if you can. My family has done this before. We've done um, family bingo, <laughs> where we've gone into a situation where we knew it was going to be difficult. We knew we were not going to agree with everyone in the room, and we were maybe not even going to be able to survive it if we didn't have something fun to do. And so we created our own bingo game of things that we were sure our family members would say. You know, maybe it's, you know, Uncle Ron is going to tell me that I'm on my way to hell, and Aunt Josie is going to tell me that she's been praying for me, and Mom is going to tell me that she got a word from the Holy Spirit saying that I'm, you know, whatever it is, whatever you know your family is going to do, because you know your family so well, turn it into a bingo game. And that way, when they cross those lines, you at least get a little pop of dopamine because you just won in your game. Every time they do that, you just you just got proved right, and that can just can make the day go a little bit easier, especially if you have that team member in the room who can play that game with you. But you don't have to. Even if it's just you in the room, you can still play the game. You can still have it written on your phone in your notes app, or you can have a friend that you text anytime they say something crazy. Um, But if you can turn it into something a little bit more fun, uh, you go a long way towards surviving the day. And then my final tip is just be safe leave if you need to leave. You don't owe people um you don't you don't owe people your space and time if they're not kind to you, if they're not respectful to you. You don't owe them that. And so if they're crossing boundaries, if you don't feel safe, if you've tried to to maintain those boundaries and they're they're not respecting them, it's okay to just say this isn't for me. I'm going to leave. 
Thank you. I'm going to leave now. Um, it's okay to walk out. It's okay to prioritize your safety. Uh, it's totally an okay thing to do. Um, at the end of the day, you need to be able to protect your own peace and be able to finish this deconstruction process without your family um, really tearing you to, th- <laughs> to shreds through the whole thing, you know. And I say finish the deconstruction process like you ever really finish it. And I'm not sure you do. I'm 15 years in and I still feel like I am learning new things and, you know, tearing down old beliefs all the time. So who knows when you finish, but you deserve to be safe along the way. Dope Disciples, man. It is Dope Disciple time again. Time to turn the spotlight onto a writer, a musician, an artist, an activist, or a content creator that I think you should be checking out. Today's suggestion might sound a little bit strange. I think you should be checking out the podcast Reasonable Faith. And I'm sure that there are alarm bells and red flags in your head right now. Yes, you're right. It is a Christian podcast, specifically a Christian apologetics podcast. But hear me out. I think it's important that we listen to the very best arguments for belief systems we don't agree with. I think it's important for two reasons. One, it allows you security in your own beliefs. You know your own beliefs better when you have heard the very best arguments against your beliefs, because then you know if you have an answer to that. Do you have a response to that? Do you know the answer to it? Do you have um, a good reason why they're wrong with their accusations or with their belief systems? If you know their best arguments, then you can be more certain of your own belief systems. It's one of the reasons it's so important that we actually evaluate so many different belief systems because then you know your own self better. And the second reason I think it's important is because it prepares you to hear those arguments out in the real world. You know, if you're going to be at Thanksgiving dinner and Uncle Ron is going to give you, you know, a transcendental argument for blah, da, da, right? You don't want to have heard that argument for the first time at Thanksgiving dinner while all eyes are on you. You want to have already familiarized with yourself with that argument and have a good response for it when you're not being put on the spot. And listening to those arguments, um, listening to those arguments as they're presented by a really, really good apologist allows you to really sort out your own beliefs a little bit more clearly. And I do think that the Reasonable Faith podcast is one of the best I've heard um, when it comes to Christian apologetics. They do a really good job of laying out their arguments. And it's certainly miles ahead what you're gonna, from what you're going to get, you know, uh, by a Kirk Cameron, right? Um, or even the banana man himself. <laughs> you're going to get such a better argument and much more clearly presented from a podcast like that. Now, um, I will tell you, you can find them in other places. They don't just have a podcast. They're also on TikTok. I don't like their TikTok content as much. Um, it's very broken up into smaller bite-sized pieces. I don't, I don't like the way they don't engage with people. It just doesn't feel like it fits that medium very well. So I don't follow them there and I don't engage with them there. I don't like that medium for their content. I really do recommend the podcast version. But I do also recommend that while you're listening to the podcast, check out a counter-apologetics podcast at the same time. It can be really useful because it's almost like you're hearing a conversation. A couple that I like 
Our one, reasonable doubts, which, yes, it's a great response to reasonable faith, reasonable faith, reasonable doubts. Um, it's no longer being made. It came out of West Michigan. Um, I actually am familiar with the guys who made it. They're not friends of mine, but I'm familiar with them. And um, you can still access the back catalog, though, even though it's not currently being made. And I really like theirs for several reasons. One, they just have a really great rapport uh, amongst them. And also, I like that they do not just tackle um, your typical evangelical uh, belief systems. Instead, they also go into reformed belief systems as well. And because my own background comes from a reformed background, I really appreciate it when people are also tackling those arguments. They're not as common out in the, the world at large as they are in my specific region of the United States. So I appreciate when people do tackle that. Um, another podcast that I really recommend is The Atheist Experience. And I'm sure you've probably heard about it. It's very, very famous. It's been around for, I think, over 20 years now. Um, the reason I like them specifically is they answer people's questions directly. You're not always going to get the best questions or the best arguments from the people calling in. It's not like you're hearing from, you know, an actual trained apologist most of the time, but there are episodes where you do and the hosts themselves do a really good job of steel manning the arguments being made by the callers. And I think that's a really important practice. And they usually do a pretty good job of that. Not every host, but a lot of them do. Um, my favorite host for that podcast is Tracy Harris. She's no longer on, but you can find her in the back catalog of theirs. You can also search for their videos on YouTube and specifically look for Tracy Harris's videos, which I really recommend. I like the way she presents things. She also doesn't lose her her patience with callers and doesn't get into like screaming matches. And I really appreciate that as well. So just a couple podcasts that I recommend you check out while you're checking out Reasonable Faith. Oh, fruity. Welcome to Fruits of the Spirit, the segment where I and my co-host, the suspiciously self-proclaimed Professor History, dig deep into the annals of church history to uncover forgotten tales that disgust and horrify. Ooh. Welcome, Professor History. Hello, hello. Today, we're going to talk about something a little themey since it's Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to jump into a very specific character within the Puritan movement, a woman named Anne Hutchinson, who was um, driven out of the Puritan camp, which was not a super not surprising a thing. thing. That happened pretty often, actually. Um, but she's an interesting character, and we're going to kind of zoom into her life a little bit. But before we can, we have to zoom out, and we have to look at the entire picture of who were the Puritans, uh, what made them connected to the pilgrims, how are they connected, how are they different, and just kind of what was going on that created this entire movement and, you know, started a whole lot of our own religious weirdness in the United States. Yes. So the Puritans uh, and the pilgrims share a lot of similarities. The uh, pilgrims end up being um, the extreme Puritans, which you, which when you think of either, you think of extreme. So I'm not really sure how they can be more extreme. But let's go back uh, and pull it back into the history of uh, what kind of caused this and what's kind of going on in England at this time. So uh, to pull it all the way back, you would go to when King Henry VIII pulled uh, England out of 
uh, Catholicism. And he said, I want to get divorced, so <laughs> I'm going to... Uh, it always has to do with sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pull all of England out of this. So there seemed to be a lot of push at that time and a lot of agreement with the king of, yes, we should totally do this. Let's pull all of Catholicism out of it. And I don't think Henry VIII or any of the leadership at that time really wanted to do this. He just wanted to get divorced. So he wanted to keep the Catholicism, but just have it be in England and controlled by England. Uh, and the problem is, is a lot of people got on board with this, but they got really on board with this. So from the, what was it, like 18, or I'm sorry, 1530s through to... I was going to say, wow, we really jumped. Okay, keep going. <laughs> 1530s to uh, all throughout the rest of the um, uh, that century, there was a lot of turmoil and understanding, and then it even got into, uh, it broke into a lot of the English civil wars and there was lots of, okay, so we want to, we want to be religious this way and we want to be religious that way. And then there ended up being a lot of laws around in England, you can only be a part of the church of England and the Puritans or the more separatist type people said, we wanted to, um, worship in this specific way, pulling a lot more of the, a Roman Catholicism out of the religion. Because if when you look at the Church of England and you look at Catholicism, they're very similar. There's a lot more, a lot of that pomp and ceremony and just weird stuff. But yeah. from the outside, as with many denominations, from the outside looking in, way more in common yeah. than different. But when they're inside of it, they think they're so different and unique. Right. And as with <clears throat> anything else, you know, when you are in it, you're like, oh, yes, this is perfect. And then when you're looking from the outside, you're like, why are you singing about blood and worship? <laughs> Could just be very strange. But so there was lots of this turmoil, and the Puritans were wanting to change and um, change the Church of England. The separatists, the more pilgrim people, they wanted to say, no, we don't want to be a part of that. We want to worship in this way. And because of the, you have to be a part of the Church of England in England, there was a lot of um, uh, persecution of these people. And you could say persecution, but it's more like, do do this or die. Um, so I don't know if that's really persecution or if it's what exactly you would call it. But these Worse people, than persecution? <laughs> <laughs> these people then decided, okay, so we're going to leave. And the pilgrims said, we really need to leave. So they went to Holland, and then they eventually settled in uh, Massachusetts. And yeah. once they did that, a lot of the Puritans said, oh, you guys aren't so, so off from what we think. And a lot of them joined them in Massachusetts, which led to... Yeah, about 15 years after the Pilgrims yeah. first arrived, the Puritans really started settling there. Yeah, it led to a very Puritan and very weird place. So Very reformed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say largely, though they're slightly different, they largely had the same beliefs. And by the time the Puritans got there, there was really no separate... You couldn't really separate separate the two of them, the well, groups. The, they were the pilgrims who had achieved their separation, and the, yes. they and that was truly their the main uh, difference between them. That's the thing is the pilgrims wanted 
primarily they wanted to be separatists. They wanted to separate from the others. Um, and they wanted to live, yeah, completely separate from the other thoughts of the day, the other religions of the day, the other denominations of the day. The Puritans, though holding absolutely similar views, they wanted less to be separate and more to be a um, kingdom on a hill, a light on a hill. Uh, Ronald Reagan borrowed that phrase from them later. Of course he did. And I mean, he misused <laughs> it a little bit from what they intended, but of course he did. And they really wanted, they wanted to show the rest of the world how they could live and how, and how could they could be successful if they would just be like them. So one, it was really just about like, stay away from me. We don't want anything to do with you. And the other, it was look at how amazing we are. And of course, neither really worked, but. What was interesting, getting jumping a little bit more now into their time in the U.S., <clears throat> now that we're out of them, like, arriving, um, they <laughs> – there's – we have this idea of them as really wanting religious freedom, and we have our religious freedom because of them, because of groups like them that were just so focused on religious freedom. And that is just fundamentally a misunderstanding of their own – viewpoints. They did not value religious freedom. They valued their religious freedom. They wanted to be able to worship the way they wanted, and they wanted everyone else to worship the way they wanted as well. They did not want to live in a land where there was freedom for everyone to worship the way they wanted. Um, and this, and we can see this in their own actions. Um, I mean, I'm not just disparaging them because I hate the Puritans, which I do, but <laughs> it is true because of their, I mean, we can see it in their actions, right? They, um, they beefed with a whole lot of other denominations in the area. They would kick them out of their spaces. They would banish them. They would refuse to, um, associate with them or work with them or trade with them, uh, they had like some serious beef with the Quakers. They hated the Quakers. Absolutely hated the Quakers. I mean, there were even laws that you were not allowed. <laughs> you were not allowed to give a Quaker directions if you encountered a Quaker. I love that so much. It's just like, we hate you so much. We hope you get lost in the woods. <laughs> they really hated the Quakers. Um, so yeah, they were, they were not, <laughs> they were not this, this bastion of, of, um, freedom and light. Uh, yeah, and light. No, they just wanted everyone to be like them. And that brings us, um, really squarely into Anne Hutchinson territory. <laughs> um, Anne Hutchinson, uh, was a Puritan and she was <laughs> raised by, um, an Anglican father and a school teacher. So she actually had a really good education and was quite intelligent. And after the sermons, she used to invite women over to like discuss some of the sermons and men actually started requesting to come and actually <gasps> listen to her as well. So oh, I know shocking here. A woman um, in charge? Well, how dare they? Yeah, right? I mean, she's not in front of the pulpit, so it was technically not too bad yet, but the very fact that men were willing to like come to her home and listen to what she had to say. They were intrigued enough, I think tells us a lot about the power that she had. Um, and the ability she had is probably a public speaker and an ability to express herself and her ideas that it wasn't just drawing women, that men were willing to 
move through the social uh, shame and awkwardness of wanting to listen to a woman and come to her home. And not just not just any men, right? It was actually some pretty um, powerful men, even a, a man who would later become the um, one of their uh, mayors, I believe, um, he came and sat at her feet and listened to her as well. So, like, people with power, men with power were listening to her as well. And, of course, I'm sure this put her on the radar of clergy people, clergy men, as a what is happening over here. We don't want there to be an offshoot of another denomination happening from this woman. <gasps> um, but she, you know, had these conversations. And I think where it started going wrong is she started – not just expanding the conversation, she started critiquing the sermons. And specifically, she started critiquing the sermons uh, when they had to do with grace versus works. Grace versus works is a huge controversy and problem within Reformed theology. Um, Reformed theologians talk about it constantly because they have a really hard time actually making sense of these two pieces of theology. And if you're not aware, excuse me, if you're not aware, Reformed theology uh, does get its roots in Puritan theology. So Reform, you can trace it right through to the Puritans. It's almost not even the roots. It's like they quote it. Yeah. I mean, let me put it like this. I came from a Reformed church. I live in a very, very Reformed area. Um, this area in West Michigan was settled by Dutch settlers, so very Reformed. And we have one of the largest Reformed bookstores in our town, actually. And um, they have an entire section that is just Puritan authors, um, so, yes, it's very much a part of our own history as a Reformed uh, denomination, and it definitely is still alive and well. It, they fully agree with the Puritans. Reformed theology fully agrees with Puritans. So it's basically one and the same. They actually get a lot of their statements of faith mm-hmm. and uh, other things straight. I mean, it's like word yeah. for, it's word for word. Yeah, straight from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, this issue between free will – and works goes like this. So Reformed theology teaches very, very, very strongly that salvation is an act of grace. Um, salvation is an act of grace. And you don't really have full free will. Um, you have God calling you. He has uh, an elect, uh, a people group that he has elected or predestined to save. And no one will ever choose God without... Um, God first choosing you. And so God chooses you, right? God elects you. And then he, the Holy Spirit calls you. And then you are saved. And it's an act of grace. It has nothing to do with how good you are. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't even choose God. So you can't even earn it through the choice of choosing God. It is literally just God doing the entire thing. That is their idea. But then this creates a problem of what's the point of works then? What's the point of doing anything good? Um, because it's not going to save you. And yet you need that because you need people to want to obey rules. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's I mean, the whole point of religion. You're losing your control if it has nothing at all to do with works, right? And so 
most reformed people uh, make sense of this by saying, well, your works are an outgrowth of your salvation. So you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't even choose God to earn your salvation. And But what will happen is once God has saved you, then you will do the right things and you will follow him because your heart has been changed. And so you automatically want to do those things and it will naturally occur. And of course, this, what it really becomes then is a, I better do these things so other people believe I'm a Christian because this is evidence that I'm a Christian. So I better do these things so other people know it. So that's kind of usually the way it, the way it happens. But what happened here with, um, our Anne is she was starting to push on the, that idea of where works falls into the equation. And this was actually, it was such a big controversy that there's an entire name for it. Um, it's called the antinomian controversy. And there were several people who were having some of these same, same questions and were kind of pushing back in the same way. Anne was one of the main, um, players in it. And basically, they were pushing back at the idea that works really should play a part at all. She was saying, you know, I don't think works, works shouldn't even be a sign that you're saved. Um, this is not helpful when you're living in a small community that needs to survive and needs everyone to follow the rules, right? That's not a helpful thing. So there was some controversy there. And many people think that that controversy and the fact that she was pushing back against that theology specifically is why she ended up getting kicked out of the group. And she did. She got kicked out of the group. They shoved her away. They excommunicated her and her family. Um, and she had to move into what became Rhode Island. And then eventually that wasn't far enough. And she moved into what became the Bronx um, to get far enough away from them. Because <laughs> um, after all, they're not even going to give her directions. You know, like get lost in the woods, Is she lady. as bad as a Quaker? Uh, that is that is a good question. I don't know. I don't know where on the hate scale she would have been. She was a woman. So, I mean, that's got to be a problem. Yeah. But so... Many people think that would have been like the biggest reason that she got kicked out. But actually, one thing that some people don't know about Anne is that was not the only piece of theology she was pushing back against. That's the one that she was having meetings about and being really vocal about after sermons. But she also was referring to herself as a prophetess. And reformed, <laughs> reformed people don't have prophets and prophetesses. They don't, they don't believe in that. So they just ignore that part of the Bible? They don't ignore that part of the Bible. They say it has completed. Oh, right. So God has Girls different... Girls could only talk back then. God has different eras in the Bible where he yeah. gave his... Where he was active and more active, and then times when he is less active. And he is less active after the Bible was completed. Because the idea was that the Spirit was more active in speaking to people directly when the Bible was being created, because God was putting all of his knowledge and necessary theology into the Bible. Once the Bible is completed, he's not active anymore. The Bible is all you need. So, it's sola scriptura. You have nothing more. It's just the Bible alone. So the more primitive we were, the more God would talk, <laughs> the more knowledge we gained. Of course, of course, of course. Okay. Now, I, I mean, it makes sense in some ways, because what's the problem when you when you believe, for denominations who believe that God is still active, the Holy Spirit is still active, and is giving people prophecies? How do you tell who to listen to? 
right? Like everybody is saying stuff. People are saying different stuff. How do you tell what's from God and what's not from God? That gets really confusing when you have a theology where it's like, no, 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 no. God's not talking to you anymore. If it's not in the Bible, it's not there. That makes it a lot simpler. And you can just tell people to knock it off. Um, and <laughs> Anne was not knocking it off. Anne was saying she was a prophetess and the Holy Spirit was actually still speaking to her specifically. And the problem came is she said that on the stand when she was being tried. <gasps> yeah. She might have been able to get out of this whole thing. She might have been able to not have to move away. Maybe. I mean, she was still a woman and she was still intelligent and speaking. So who really knows? But she really sealed her own fate by saying on the stand that the Holy Spirit was speaking to her and the Holy Spirit warned her that their settlement was going to be destroyed. Their settlement was going to of fail. Course, the new Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course. So, you know, she warns them, you know, with a, do not treat me this way. God's going to punish you for this. Was it fire and brimstone from her? And, or? I know. And she... And she kind of sealed her own fate, and they ended up kicking her out. So Anne, Anne was a powerful woman within the Puritan movement who wasn't able to change their views on God speaking. And it makes sense. I mean, maybe if she had been a man saying God was speaking to her, it would have been a little different. But she had a lot going against her. So She was a woman. Do, she was disagreeing with their theology, and she was claiming the Holy Spirit was active. Do we know what happened to her after she left the colony? We do. She moved to the Bronx um, eventually, right? It was Rhode Island and then the Bronx. And her and all – her husband died, and then it was just her and her children. And then her and all of her children except one ended up being killed um, in an attack by an – uh, Native American tribe in the area. One child, I think daughter's name, Susanna, I believe, um, survived it and was taken hostage. Um, and I do not know what happened to Susanna after that, but the rest of them did perish. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit didn't warn her of that. Yeah. Interesting, right? I feel like, it feels like when you go, you know, to a fortune teller and they can tell you that you're about to meet the man of your dreams, but they can't tell you the lottery numbers. And like, also, I feel like there's some stuff maybe they should be able to see. It'd be interesting too, because it feels like they would tell you that there's a car that's going to hit you as soon as you walk outside. They never do. That, maybe that's how you meet the man of your dreams though. That's true. That's true. Okay. Maybe not in this life, but you know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so that is Anna Hutchinson, and those are the Puritans. And now, when you're sitting around your Thanksgiving dinner, and you're about to list off the things you're grateful for with your religious family members, you can be thankful that you didn't live with the Puritans, and you weren't driven out of town for having a difference of opinion. Yes. But then again, if they're religious, you might be about to be driven out of town anyways. Or maybe you could just drive out of town and just leave them yeah. where they are. Drive yourself out of town? <laughs> yes. We're spinning this into a very good positive now. <laughs> maybe we'll we leave, skip Thanksgiving altogether. <laughs> we'll leave the crazies there and we'll just go ahead and leave. <laughs>
All right, friends, as we come to a close today, I wanted to leave you with one last resource. If you've never heard of them, Recovering From Religion is a foundation that specifically is there to help you, well, recover from religion. They understand that it can be really, really difficult to lose your faith and to leave your religion, especially in a country like the United States, where so much of our culture is built around faith in a God, faith in the Christian God specifically. It can be really difficult to leave that. It can be really lonely to leave that. And they want to help you in that process. They actually have a hotline that you can call. Um, it is, uh, I doubt it, 844-I doubt it, 844-368-2848. And they have trained volunteers at the other end of that line who are there to really listen. Their goal isn't to deconvert you. Remember, one of the great things about being a non-believer is that there's no scary threat of hell, and there's no promise of a reward if we win your soul in some way. Like, I'm not going to get extra diamonds on my afterlife crown by convincing you not to believe in a God, and I'm not going to be punished with eternal torture if I change my mind. Um, that's a really, really great thing. And that means also that there's not a whole lot of extra stuff muddying up the waters. There's not a lot of people sitting on that other end of the phone, sitting in a place of disbelief, actively hoping that they can change your mind for a reward or to avoid a punishment. Instead, they're there just because they've been through the process themselves and they know how scary it can be and they want to help you. Um, they're not going to cr- try to dis, uh, to convince you differently. Their goal is to offer what you need. So if you need resources, they have that. If you need a listening ear, they have that too. If you have questions, they'll try to answer them or they'll find you resources that may answer them better. It's just a really great resource, especially on a day like today where things can feel a little bit sad, a little bit distressing. Know that you are not alone. There are other people there who've been through what you've been through and are willing to walk alongside you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here. If you have any suggestions for topics to cover in the future, you can always drop me a note. I would love to hear from you. You can contact me. Um, on my website, millstonecollector.com. That's millstonecollector.com. See you next week.